Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 351 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I'm so excited to bring you today's episode. Nona Jones is back on the podcast. We talk all things digital which is extremely timely. And today's episode is brought to you by the Global Leadership Summit, one of my favorite leadership events of the year uh, with friends like Craig Grishel and others leading the way. You can get $20 off the individual ticket if you register now at globalleadership.org and use the coupon code CARRYPODCAST. And it's brought to you by the Lead to Win podcast. Uh, If you are looking for podcasts to subscribe to, Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller's podcast is definitely one you want to add to the list. So, man, here we are into a summer unlike anything you and I expected. If somebody said to me, hey, you know what? The virus is going to be surging in uh, late June, early July. I'd be like, what, 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 what? I thought we... I thought we dealt with that. Now, in Canada, where I am, the virus seems to be very under control, at least, you know, the moment I'm recording this. But in the U.S. and uh, other places like Brazil, I know we have a lot of leaders in Brazil who listen to the show uh, because I hear from you. Man, it is surging. And so uh, at the end of this episode, in the What I'm Thinking About uh, segment, I'm going to talk to you about what would happen if you had to reclose your church. And is that something you'd even want to consider strategically? And maybe after you hear what Nona Jones has to say, uh, you might give that some thought. Because if your goal is to reach more people, man, there's some really refreshing options to do that. Nona is an author, speaker, and head of faith-based partnerships at Facebook. She is an expert in expanding the influence of the gospel through social technology. And she actually coined the term social ministry. So she partners with churches around the world. And she's also a pastor. She and her husband lead a church in Gainesville, Florida. So uh, Nona's been on the show before. She'll be on again. But my goodness, I really appreciate her and her friendship. 2020 has indeed been a year unlike any other. And this year's Global Leadership Summit will be a summit like never before. It's got both in-person attendance and an enhanced digital experience. So the theme is called You Have Influence. And the 2020 GLS faculty includes more than 15 world-class leaders, Like Craig Rochelle, said Nona Jones, Nike director Beth Comstock, Sadie Robertson-Huff, Bishop T.D. Jakes, Lisa Turkhurst, uh, many of whom have been on the show, actually, which is great. If you need some more encouragement, some inspiration or skills to navigate the world and who doesn't, these speakers are going to help you get there. So it'll be telecast live in HD from Chicago to hundreds of host locations around the country or online August 6th through 7th. So you want to get in on it. It's probably easier than ever. And you can simply go to globalleadership.org and then use the coupon code CARRYPODCAST on checkout. That will get you $20 off the individual ticket rate now through August 6th. So don't hesitate. Use the coupon code CARRYPODCAST when you register for this year's Global Leadership Summit at globalleadership.org. And podcast listeners, man, I love summer. I don't know about you. I just listen to more podcasts in the summer and audiobooks. And if you have not yet checked out Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller's podcast, Lead to Win, it is time to do that right now. It's so practical. They share their experience of more than four decades of professional leadership, leading teams, and 
driving results, which sometimes seem hard to get in an environment like this, right? One of my favorite things about the podcast is it's not just strategies to grow your business. They're also about helping you win at home as well as winning at work. So if you're a leader who wants to grow without sacrificing what matters most, just subscribe to Lead to Win on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get it. And uh, yeah, it'll help you build the double win. So anyway, check that out. And remember, (laughs) these are unprecedented times and you and I need all the resources we can get in the Lead to Win Podcast Global Leadership Summit, two of the premier really leadership resources out there today. So without further ado, I'm so happy to bring you this conversation with Nona Jones. Uh, By the way, I did not originally do this interview for my podcast. Sometimes I interview for other platforms, but I like this one so much. I did it for Rethink Leadership and they were only going to broadcast a fragment of it uh, because of time. I'm like, hey, do you mind if I run this on my show? So yeah, that's what we're doing. Here's my conversation with Nona Jones. Nona, thanks so much for joining us at Rethink Leadership. So I would love for you to reflect by what you're loving with social ministry, social media, and you got a lot of church leaders. Most of them have some kind of online presence. So when you look back over the last few years, what have been some really good practices that you're like, guys, just keep going in this field? Yeah. Well, um, I I want to pull out and, and like decouple COVID-19 from the last few years. But I think that COVID-19 was such a radical moment in history uh, that has created such a shift. Uh, I would like to just talk about that separately. So I think over the last few years before that, um, you know, there, there's there been kind of a dichotomy. Like there, there were some pastors who were like, you know, the online space, it, it isn't real church. And so I'm not going to invest there. But there have been other pastors who have realized through using live streaming, as just an example, um, that you can oftentimes have 5x or 10x the people watching your live stream uh, than the people who are actually gathered in your building. And so it, it was kind of that group of people that I've seen really lean into the power of social technology. So uh, thinking more deeply about, you know, how do you use Facebook groups um, to actually keep people connected during the week, um, not just using live streaming for the weekend worship service, but actually using live streaming um, throughout the week, you know, and, and thinking more deeply about the 168 hours uh, that, that we have during the week, as opposed to only thinking about the program. Um, I've seen pastors who have been really willing to lean into other types of technologies. So things like TikTok, thinking about, okay, how mm-hmm. do you use that for ministry? Uh, or really, how do you use that just to have fun? Okay, you went there. I got to ask you, how do you use TikTok for ministry? Because I well, can't dance on a good day, let alone a bad day. Well, that's the thing. Um, I think TikTok is really more about just like the the social aspect of life. And so yeah. you use it for ministry by ministering to people's need for humor. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times we think of ministry as like the, the Bible, the word of God, like being declared over people. Um, that is absolutely a fundamental part of the work that we have to do as leaders. At the same time, we also have to remember that like not everything needs to be a conversation about eschatology, right? Like sometimes we just need to just like, you know, put on a, a really That's fun- a good quote. And, and just have, have fun. Um, and I think, honestly, that's where, um, you know, Generation Z in particular, yeah. that's kind of where their hearts are. Like, before they even want to know anything about what you believe, they just want to know, like, are you, are you cool? <laughs> like, do you actually... Are you the kind of person I would actually enjoy hanging out with for 10 minutes? Like, yeah. You know, 
Yeah. And so that's, that's important is uh, for them to see that you're not just like this, like stuffy preacher that only emerges, you know, when it's, when it's time to deliver the word of God. Um, so yeah, I, I think uh, I've seen leaders like leaning into to things like that. And um, that's been really inspiring to realize that social technology is social. It's meant to be social. Right. So now COVID comes along. What have you seen over the last few months as we moved into the whole new reality? Yeah. Disruption? So this, this is such, it's like a twilight zone situation. So I, uh, I shared in a, a couple of interviews I've done that um, I was heading to London. Uh, this was early February. I was heading to London and um, Barna had just released their 2020 State of the Church uh, report, which is something that I read every year. I find it incredibly fascinating just to see what the trends are, what's on pastors' minds. And uh, as I was, I was settling into my seat on the plane, uh, I started to read through the report. And one of the questions was asking pastors, you know, what are the pressing concerns on your mind uh, in order of, you know, priority? When they stack ranked the, the concerns on pastors' minds, uh, again, this was February 3rd of this year, at the very bottom of the list, like, Last on this long laundry list uh, was uh, trends in digital technology or disruptions to the traditional model of church, like online church. February, February 3rd, 2020, right? Bottom of the list. So then three weeks later, uh, COVID-19 happens. There's this like national, you know, shutdown of states and local municipalities, including churches, uh, buildings. And so suddenly the entire church is now forced to either no longer exist or to shift online. And so I, I saw many leaders who just were very quick to pivot and say, all right, look, we, we got to stream. We got to set up cameras at home so that we can you know, talk about the word of God. But there were some who said, you know what, this is too much for me. And um, I'm just, I'm just going to shut down until our church can open back up. Hmm. I think where that has created some churn in my own heart, and I'll, I'll talk about this in a deeper way in a little bit, is that for so long, we've thought of church as a program. We've thought of it as a place. We've thought of it as a date, time, and location. So even now, with this push to reopen church, it's almost as if like the last four months have taught us nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> we've got to open the building. Because if we don't open the building, what? <laughs> I, I've yet, I've yet to hear an answer to that question. And so, um, on the, on the plus side, I think people have definitely seen this as an opportunity to become more savvy, uh, about digital ministry. I think on the minus side, people have still not yet understood that ministry can and should happen outside of the four walls of the church. Mm hmm it's been a massive pattern disruption. And even now, I mean, it might be a little bit different. We're recording this a week or two before the event. But, you know, when we get to June 11th, maybe it'll change. But I don't know. Like, the people who are reopening are discovering that uh, not a lot of people are coming back, like, to a shocking level. Not just, oh, I'm 80 years old and I shouldn't risk it. But, like, people who would be perfectly comfortable in a ballpark, people who would be perfectly comfortable going shopping are like, yeah, and I'm not coming back to church, which is really interesting. Any thoughts or comments on that in, in the early data that we've seen? Well, I, I think it's, it's a few things. Um, one, and this is where I think the, the model of ministry has to shift. I think one of it is, let's just be honest, okay? 
if I'm at a, a ballpark or if I'm grocery shopping, I'm like, I'm moving, right? So I'm not necessarily in one place, like mm. locked into one space. And so there is a psychological calculation, which says, am I at higher risk? Because there is no cure. There's no treatment. Am I at a higher risk for being stationary in one place? Uh, or should I be outside or be in a place where I can move? I think that's one thing. I think the second thing is people have discovered, and there was a study that was done, people have discovered that they can deepen their faith without being in a building. And like, like that, that is, that to me is the biggest disruption. COVID-19 itself was not the biggest disruption. The biggest disruption was people realizing that I can actually deepen my faith without going to a building. Now, what that means, I think, for pastors who are so focused on the building is you really have to think about what can people get at this building that they cannot get digitally. Now, that is the disruption. And I think that's the question that we have to ask because typically if you go to any church in America, there's going to be a pretty standard form of service, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're going to have prayer, you're going to have Bible reading, you're going to have announcements, you're going to have offering, you're going to have a message. Like it's a, it's pretty, pretty standard. Um, yes, the quality of the teaching may vary. Yes. The quality of the charisma of the person speaking may vary. The, the, you know, first impressions team may be amazing, but you really have to, when you strip all that away, ask yourself, what is it that I'm giving people in this building? They cannot get online. And until you can answer that question, I think we're going to continue to see people not returning to the building because they're being nourished online. A lot of people have said, and I would agree with this, that the locus because of COVID of where ministry is done shifted from a building to the home. That is basically the home, the marketplace, etc. So let me ask you this, because, you know, I think people kind of know this, but we often forget it because you're known for your work at Facebook and social ministry, social media, but you're also a pastor mm-hmm. and you and your husband pastor a local church. So what would you say with that hat on that you think you can do in a building that you really can't do online? Because kind of the argument in some cases is, oh, well, people want community, people want relationship, people want discipleship. That all has to happen in a building. And I think that's quickly proving not to be true. So what is it you can do in a building that you can't do online? Yeah. So I think this is where it gets to be fun because uh-huh. now, now you, you are able to reimagine what the church gathering experience is. So again, it's not that we're returning to church. Like some people have said this, like we've got to return to church. It's like, I I don't think the body of Christ went anywhere. So (laughs) as a matter of fact, we definitely didn't go anywhere. Um, So it's it's about reimagining the church gathering experience. So something that we're thinking about is, okay, if we're going to have all these people gathered together, what can we do to actually facilitate intentional relationships among the people who are gathering together in the building? Um, you, you think about, you know, children's ministry, you think about youth ministry, right? And so those tend to be places and spaces where there's, there's different activities that are happening. <laughs> They're happening. There's like different discussions that are happening. It tends to be more interactive, but then for some reason, when you come into big church, everyone's just sitting and looking. So now it's like, all right, what experience can we create where people are actually interacting with each other, where we're actually enjoying each other, we're having fun, we're playing games. There's a teaching, but it's interactive. It's not just me sitting and listening. Um, there's something that's happening that's enable, enabling me to actually like dig into the message with the group of people that I'm with. 
how do we enable those experiences? And I don't have the answer yet, but I'm already thinking about this because if we want people to come to the gathering, we have to ask ourselves, well, what are they going to miss out on that they won't be able to experience online? Well, the, the in-person interactivity, the fun, the games, but those are not things that we typically have in a church service. So mm -hmm. now we have to reimagine what that looks like. Well, and you know, I mean, just to, <laughs> just to make it more complicated, I think we've all figured out pretty quickly how to do a service without needing the auditorium. Like, okay, yeah. we'll capture the message on a Wednesday. Uh, we'll socially distance the videographers in the band and we'll, we'll capture some music. Like we've all figured out to do how to do that. And you know, the other thing nobody's thinking about, well, I'm sure people are thinking about it, but like, Ooh, when you really think about it, it's like, we went from like hundreds of volunteers to three and we now can run everything we were running on three people. How the heck did that happen? What happens to that in the new normal? I think you're raising, so I can almost imagine, I just want to bounce this off you because it's a fresh thought. That's why I love talking to you, Nona, is, you know, maybe you're right. We pre-produce the services during the week and that's online content that we stream, the music, the message, et cetera. And we gather and we gather at some kind of interactive like table thing where you bring your friends and you have conversations like a, a big, small group, that kind of thing. You could do that now because everything, yeah, the whole model just broke. Yeah. And, and I think it's also, and this is where um, I think as a, as a pastor, a lot of times we get very focused on being students of, of the Bible, students of other preachers, students of, you know, theology, uh, and we overlook the need to become students of people. And by mm. that, what I mean is uh, there are people who have different personalities, different motivators, they have different interests, they receive energy in different ways. So we have to begin thinking about how do we create an experience that isn't one size fits all. It's an experience that actually speaks to the individual needs and motivations uh, of people. So for example, let's just be honest, you know, introverts will probably be like, what do you mean you're going to have like people sit at a table talking? No, <laughs> that's, not, <laughs> yeah. that's not what I want to do. Um, so, so what do we do that actually creates an experience for, for introverts? Like how do, how do we make sure that when they're coming to the gathering um, that they're not, you know, leaving traumatized? Uh, mm -hmm. but they're, they're, le they're leaving fed and they're, they're leaving energized. So I think we do have to become students of people, what their interests are. Um, and then, you know, like you said, that the technology side of it is awesome. It's an enabler and it's a facilitator. Uh, but that, that's not the end all be all. I think the gathering now takes on a different, different form. Yeah. It's a fascinating conversation. So one of the things you've said to me as we've had numerous opportunities to talk since COVID started was pastors are obsessed with streaming. And it's true. We're obsessed with content. We're obsessed with streaming, how many views, how many people listened, how many people watched, how many people interacted. Take us down that road. What's, what's the upside to that? What is the downside to that, Nona? So, I mean, you know, streaming, streaming is important. Uh, it's important because it does create the ability to gather an audience. Um, but you have to remember it's gathering an audience. So it's a passive community of people who are essentially observing whatever you're doing or saying. Um, to me, that is like, that's like the lowest cost of admission <laughs> in, in social technology. It's like an, an audience is passive. Um, so it's important to have live streaming as part of your, you know, continuum of ministry. Uh, but don't let that be the, the big end. Uh, for example, if you know that 500 people are, you know, tuning into your live stream on Facebook, 
that's awesome. The question becomes, how many of those people are actually joining your group? How many of those people are actually connecting to each other, connecting to you as the leader? How many of them are being discipled? Um, so and I, I tell my husband this all the time. He's, he's so funny. See, the reason why I love uh, being married to a pastor is because when I talk about the work that I do and I talk about the impact, I'm not talking abstractly. So my husband will say things like, you know, how do our live stream uh, statistics compare to other churches? And I will say to him, why does that matter to you? Yes, yeah, so well, that's a very senior pastor question, by the way. <clears throat> <laughs> Keep yeah. going. Uh, he, he's like, well, I just, I just want to know, like, are we doing, you know, as well as others? Are we not doing as well? Are we doing better? Like, I just want to know. I said, but again, why does that matter? Like, what, what would change depending on what the results were? And he said, well, you know, maybe we would do things differently. I said, well, you need to determine what impact you want to make. Do not use other churches as a benchmark because the thing about it is the average is the compilation of the peaks and the valleys. So it doesn't matter uh, what the average is. You as a leader have to decide what is excellence for your ministry. And then you need to push to that because if you constantly are looking over the fence at what other people are doing and, oh, they got this many views, they had this many people join their you know, group, this many people join their page, you're, you're going to be like constantly in, in sinking sand because it's going to change. So I do think that there is just uh, a temptation to benchmark yourself in a way that's frankly a false comparison. You, you can't benchmark your results on another church because it's apples and oranges. Well, you just called the game on uh, most of us in senior leadership. So thanks for that, Nona. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. That's uh, it's so honest. Okay, so engagement is really important. And I want to yes. talk about social ministry. Yes. Um, what are some best practices you've seen in terms of getting that viewer to actually become an engager? This is so, I love this question. Yes, engagement is everything, all right? So don't, and that gets back to this live streaming question. Like don't benchmark your success on how many people watched you you really need to figure out how many people are engaging with you. So a few best practices. One, and I'm, I'm going to talk about online as I would offline, right? So imagine mm -hmm. somebody walks into your, your church gathering, right? Um, and would you just like let them walk in and like not say anything? Probably not. Somebody's <laughs> responsibility would be to welcome them, to learn a little bit about them. Um, I think it's important to, you know, respond to people's comments. Uh, help to like lead them into deeper relationships. So for example, let's take it to the live stream. If somebody is watching your live stream and, and you, you see them, you know, welcome them. Hi, we're so glad to see you, Susan. Thank you for joining us. You know, have you joined our group? We would love to have you in our group. So you provide the link. Now Susan sees, oh my gosh, they actually recognize me. I would love to join this group. They join the group. Well, there's another person or another team responsible in the group for welcoming new members of the group. We're so glad that you're here. Tell us more about what you're interested in. Tell us about your hobbies and your passions. Invite your family. We would love to have you as a part of this community. Now you understand more about Susan and what she's interested in. And so you can begin to disciple her. You can actually provide uh, content that is related to her interests, her skills, her abilities. There are serving opportunities. It may even be digitally. But now we see Susan uh, and we can disciple her online but it starts with the welcome. It starts with the greeting, the exact same process you would use uh, offline. No, that's so, so helpful. Uh, do you think you can do 
discipleship online. This is an active debate I hear about all the time with people saying, well, real discipleship can't happen online. I'd love your take on that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm a little bit biased because I wrote an entire book about this. <laughs> but yes, um, a few years ago when I first stepped into my role at Facebook, and I was looking at how ministries were using Facebook, I realized that they were predominantly using it as a marketing tool uh, to you know, let people know what they were up to, to invite people to events. But that was basically the, the, the entirety of the, the use case for Facebook. And so I began praying about it and I was like, Lord, I just feel like there's more here. And God spoke a very clear phrase to me. He said, digital discipleship. I said, what in the world is that? When I began to think about it and I began to study discipleship, I realized that there were one, there's one key for discipleship. That is the relational maturation of your faith, hmm. being in relationship with other people so that you can grow and mature in your faith. That is the entire point of social media is being in relationship with people. And so you absolutely can do discipleship online, but you have to do discipleship by being in relationship with people. And this is why I've been so big on groups because if you only live stream, you're not discipling people. Just like we know on Sundays, that's not discipling people. That's equipping people. Um, it's, it's exhorting, but it's not discipling. That's why Jesus spent time with his disciples. He didn't just say, Hey guys, come see me on the weekend. Uh, I'll, I'll give you a parable and tie you over. I'll be carrying on the mountain. Uh, right. Hopefully lots of you show up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> exactly. No. So yes, you absolutely can do discipleship, but it just has to be intentional. Um, and you have to use the tools that are available in order to help people grow in their faith. What would you say to people? Cause I, again, this is just welcome to my world. I hear this every day. People who go, yes, Nona, but it's not the same as real life relationship has to be like in person to be real. Yeah. I, I say it's uh, it's both. And, yeah. and let me, let me, let me, for my fellow uh, pastors and ministers, let's, let's take this to the Bible. All right. So um, Acts chapter two, Acts chapter two, we know the story very well. It's the day of Pentecost and uh, there's 120 disciples gathered in the upper room. Uh, Jews from all around the world are gathered in the, in the city for the, the festivals and uh, the 120 disciples, all Galileans, right? So they start to, to praise God and they're speaking about the wonders of God. The Holy spirit falls. And they begin to speak in unknown tongues and they begin to declare the wonders of God in these foreign languages of these other Jews. And so the Jews hear it as they're walking around outside. They're not in the room. They're just walking around outside. They hear it. They're like, wait, I, I hear about the wonders of God, but it sounds like it's Galileans. How is this possible? They were not in the room physically, but the power of God was able to declare his wondrous works in unknown tongues to people who were walking around outside. So people who feel like the only way you can minister is if I can touch you, if I can see you, if you're sitting down in front of me, that's the only way that I can minister to you. You will essentially be invalidating the start of the church, <laughs> which was not because people were, you know, gathered together in that room. It was because the spirit of God used their voices and carried their voices outside of the room to people who couldn't even see them, who didn't know who they were. And the power of God led to transformation. So that is how transformation happens. It's not the gathering that transforms. It's the power of God. And God is not inhibited by an address. I love how disruptive this conversation is. So uh, final question for you, Facebook. 
One of the things that honestly, I should have known this, but I hadn't really thought about it until uh, coronavirus and the big shutdown was, you know, all these, these big companies, Google, Facebook, Twitter, uh, even Shopify in Ottawa, which, which pioneered the internet, really prioritized in-person working. You have, have said you were the only person in the tens of thousands of Facebook employees who was allowed to work remotely. Uh, when you were hired a few years ago, everybody else had to be in the office. Yeah. Now they've all announced you don't have to come back <laughs> right? indefinitely. Can you talk about that for a moment and the whole massive leap forward of virtual life that we appear to be on the verge of? Yeah. I mean, you know, and let me say like, there is absolutely value in um, being together. Like right. I think a lot of times we think about this as an either or. I see it as both and. Like they, they actually are additive to each other. Uh, and so, you know, whether we're talking about a church context or we're talking about a work context, I think there was absolutely value in being together. Uh, at the same time, I always found it so funny and just curious uh, that tech companies like required people to literally like commute two hours one way in order to be in an office. Um, and, and so that just always struck me as odd. But I do think that we're now recognizing that, you know, yes, there's absolutely value in coming together, but that, that is not the only way uh, that, that teams can thrive. And so I think you do have to learn, however, to, to steward the remote, um, remoteness of, of work uh, so that you don't lose touch with the human side of your colleagues. Now that I think is important. And that's mostly, I think, why a lot of tech companies require you to come in is because you do need to like, recognize the humanity of your colleagues. And it's, it's hard to do that when you're just talking through a screen all the time. Um, so I think there just has to be some rhythms. There has to be a cadence. Of sure. connection. Um, but, you know, yeah, we, we are seeing now uh, what I have always known, which is technology can actually enable productivity. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's quite, quite the thing, concept. isn't it? Yeah. Well, and you were, to be fair, you were always on planes anyway, to and from San Francisco, you know, to Menlo and back pre-COVID. How in these first few months of being an entirely virtual team would you say the culture at Facebook has changed if it's changed at all? You know, it really doesn't feel like it's changed. Um, hmm. It's, it's going to be interesting to see over the, the next year, but uh, people have been just as, as, as productive. I think um, the, the, the wild card, frankly, has just been having our children at home with us. Uh, yes. That has definitely been the wild card. Uh, you know, a lot of times we'll be on meetings and somebody's child will just run behind, run past them like naked, you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, your kid is but we, we all, we all get it. Um, and, but I think the culture is, has remained pretty intact because the values of the company haven't changed, even though the modality of work uh, has. No, I appreciate that. And, you know, as I think about the future, I've led virtual teams for years, but uh, there will be a time where daycare is available, where the schools are open again. And then all of a sudden, wow, now we can see what this thing can really do, right? Yes. Like, and you've known that world uh, as I have, but for those who are new to it, it's like a little bit of a false start. In, yes. in Nona, any final thoughts? You got a brand new book on social ministry as well. So can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah. So uh, it's coming out June 23rd. I'm really excited about it. It's interesting. I, I wrote it back in uh, 2018, Right around the time um, I, I got a two book deal, one was to write my write my memoir, which I did, uh, and then it was to write this book from social media to social ministry. Now remember, 2018, this was like 
ah, whatever, you know, digital technology, who cares? It's cool, but whatever. Uh, and so the premise of the book is exactly what we've been talking about is, is digital discipleship. So I'm, I'm, I'm explaining what it is. I'm explaining why it's important, but I'm also explaining how to do it. Uh, and I talk about the different social platforms. And frankly, I talk about why of all the social platforms that we typically think are social, Facebook is actually the only one that's truly social. Um, and I mm. talk about how to use it for ministry. So I'm really excited about this book. Um, for the longest time, I wasn't sure why God called me to Facebook. Like I, I didn't work at tech companies before this, um, but I feel like my passion for ministry um, intersecting with the work I'm doing at Facebook has enabled me to have a lens on this that, uh, that is helpful. And so I'm just, just grateful to be able to share it with others. So thankful for you, Nona. Thanks for being with us today. Thank you, Carrie. We have transcripts for that, uh, and I know some of you will probably want to check them out. You can find everything at kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 351. In a few minutes, I'm going to talk about what I am thinking about. It's about, uh, well, should you reclose your church after reopening it? Why would you even think about that? Isn't that even a horrible question to ask? Uh, I don't know. And uh, we got some fresh episodes coming up, too, all summer long. Um, man, I'll tell you, next episode, which drops in a couple of days, it's a longer form conversation with Levi and Jenny Lusco, Albert Tate and Nicole Martin about racial reconciliation. It's pretty raw, pretty open. I have actually re-listened to this interview multiple times. I found it so impactful. And here's an excerpt. So there is a certain impulse that says, I'm not doing it for me. I don't just show up because it's me. I show up because there's so much that's been instilled in me. And when I show up, I, I pray that I'm making room for my daughters to show up and for their children to show up so that somebody would hear. And I, I do wrestle there. There's another um, side of the black community that would criticize my showing up. You know, that would that would say that my showing up is not faithful to what it means to be part of the black community or that when I show up, I'm not black enough or that I'm not strong enough. But I also think that the gospel calls me to steward the gifts I have, to steward the opportunities I have. And if God opens those doors, who am I to say no thanks? I walk through those doors because that's the gospel. That's the call of the Christian. And I deeply believe I'll be blessed. Yeah, so that's Levi and Jenny Lusco, Albert Tate and Nicole Martin all in one segment on the next episode. Yeah, because you never know what you're going to get around here, right? Uh, if you subscribe, you get that absolutely for free. Thank you to everybody who continues to leave ratings and reviews. We're over 12 million downloads on this show and I don't know, over well over a thousand uh, five-star reviews. So thank you so much for that. When you subscribe, you are going to get a steady diet of leaders like Henry Cloud, Joe Saxton, John Eldridge, Darius Daniels, who else have we got coming up this summer? Um, Gordon McDonald, uh, Danielle Strickland, and so many more. You get that all for free. Well, now it's time for what I'm thinking about. Should you reclose your church after reopening it? And this segment is brought to you by the Global Leadership Summit. Get $20 off the individual ticket rate to the GLS now through August 6th when you use the code CARRYPODCAST at globalleadership.org. And uh, looking for new podcasts, check out Michael Hyatt and Megan Hyatt Miller's podcast, Lead to Win. Oh man, it's all about winning at work and at life, available wherever you get your podcasts. So, ah, oh, man, uh, like I said at the beginning of this show, I, I did not expect the virus to be surging. Didn't everyone say it was going to go away in the summer? Yeah, and not happening, especially across the US and uh, other places. In Brazil, we see you. 
So what do you do about it? Well, I've been thinking about this and I'm going to be writing quite a bit about this on my blog this summer, but uh, this is a time of massive change for the church. And uh, in the same way that reconciliation is going to define us, I think how we handle this coronavirus. And really, it's not just like a virus. It's the way our culture is changing, our culture is thinking, our culture is behaving. And so I want to ask what almost seems like a heretical question, which is, would you consider closing your church after you reopened it? At the time I've recorded this, I was talking to David Kinneman from Barna this week. 54% of churches in the U.S. are now reopened, uh, but it's not going particularly well. Attendance levels are abysmally low. People are afraid to come back. And so would you ever, if you want to reach more people, strategically think, about perhaps, well, we're just going to close until things become more stabilized. You know, as much as we say it's not true, there's a nagging sense among many church leaders that unless the building is open, the church isn't. And if you're actually going to reach more people, that may have to change. So why is it going to have to change? Well, uh, a few things. Again, if your goal is to gather people in a building, then keeping your building open despite public health risks and diminished returns makes sense. But if you're like me and your goal is to actually reach people, Maybe it doesn't. So here are three reasons why you may want to reconsider uh, whether you should close your building after reopening it. Or uh, if you're like in the position we are where we've chosen not to reopen at our church, even though we could, um, you know, why do you want to stay? Could you could you stay closed a little bit longer? So here, here's, here's one factor to consider. Being open is way more complicated than you thought. Okay, I talked to one guy last week who had like 25 pages of just safety regulations on how to reopen kids' ministry. And that was only kids' ministry. Uh, attendance levels are really, really low. Uh, there's all kinds of restrictions in place depending on where you live. Or, you know, sometimes they're not required, but they are, well, wise. Uh, social distancing, fractional attendance caps, bans on singing, physical contact. And even in some contexts, like, you know, if we were to reopen our church, which we're not going to anytime soon, um, you can't even have a lobby conversation. That's, quote, illegal. So it's like, well, why, why, why are you going to reopen again? Can, can you remind me? And then, and then the second thing is you may end up, if you reopen, succeeding at nothing because reopening is really a lot of work for very diminished results, right? So as a result, many churches have the highest level of staff and budgets invested where they're now seeing the lowest returns. I've, I've talked to leaders of major churches who are getting 10 or 15% of their former attendance. And that's sometimes where restrictions are lifted to the point where they could get 70%, but people are just not coming back. So why, here's the question, would a church leader spend the vast majority of his or her time, budget, and human resources on in-person services that very few people currently attend. Again, if your mission is to fill buildings, then keep going with your strategy. But if your mission is to reach people, it might be time to rethink things. And then third, and I'll leave it here. There's more on my blog. You can get that at kerryneuhoff.com. Manufacturing energy is exhausting for everyone. Okay, so let's think about like no COVID, okay? There have always been seasons where as a leader, you're like, okay, we got to like get people to go to this event. All right, Andy Stanley calls that manufacturing energy. And he asks it in the form of a question. Is there anything you're currently doing for which you have to manufacture energy? And it's like, that's a great question. And uh, the answer would be yes. 
Because sometimes it's that Tuesday morning group that's been around for 20 years. Nobody wants to go to, but they keep saying, make an announcement. We need new members. It's like that is manufacturing energies. Or even again, in normal times, <laughs> which one day may come back, who knows. Uh, that Saturday night service that was already three quarters empty. You just don't want to preach there anymore, but you have to go there and you don't want to kill it, right? Or that standing meeting you just hate, you go to week after week. See, Long-term manufacturing energy to do things that aren't helping a lot of people, that's exhausting for you, for your team, and for your organization. And honestly, sometimes it's exhausting for the people who are supporting the failing venture because they're like, well, I better show up because nobody else is going to show up. So the question is, (laughs) why are you doing that? And if you had momentum or could get momentum online, why wouldn't you do that for a season and focus the efforts of your staff on that. You see, it doesn't take a leader to stop doing what's failed, but great leaders will find the courage to stop doing what's merely good to embrace what could be great. And I think that's all the difference. So whatever you do, I think it's important enough to ask the question, why are we doing in-person services right now? Is that really producing what we want? And if we put our energy into online for a season longer, would we see greater results? Just a question to ask. I know it doesn't make me the most popular person in the room, but if you enjoy conversations like this, sign up for my daily email. If you go to kerryneuhoff.com, you can join about 70,000 leaders who every day get a little nugget of leadership, wisdom, and inspiration put in their inbox. And uh, you can do that at kerryneuhoff.com. Well, thank you so much for listening. Uh, I'm excited to be back in a few days with a fresh episode. It's a really important one, really honest, really raw on race relations, the KKK, what black leaders are really thinking about white privilege and what white leaders can do. Uh, It opened my eyes. I think it'll open yours and we'll see you then. In the meantime, I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.